0: Welcome to fighting over the VCR. My name is Matthew.
1: My name is Nancy.
0: And welcome back to the podcast where um, my sister and I discuss movies that we grew up watching. I want to thank you all for listening. And this week, um, this is kind of a we're gonna should we call this game night?
1: It is like a game night. It's
0: game night. It is game night. But uh, no clue this week. Yeah, no clue. There's no board games. There's no board games tonight. It's games. That Well, it's movies with the word game in them, basically.
1: Mental games.
0: Mind games? Mind games. I don't know. So later in the podcast, I'm going to be talking about a movie that I really like, and I'm really glad I got to rewatch it, called War Games. But Nancy's going to get us started off talking about a movie that is just straight up the game.
1: The game.
0: Not not to be confused with... um, the rapper, The Game.
1: I don't know who that is.
0: I don't know him very well either. But there is a rapper named The Game. <laughs> and, and I'm, it's like post... I don't know when it's, it's... Probably 2000s, I think, is when he became big. I don't know. You know more than I do. There's a
1: rapper named The Game. Okay. But that's not what we're talking about. No. We're talking about David Fincher's 1997 movie, The Game, starring Michael Douglas... And Sean Penn and Deborah Kara Unger. It,
0: Say that ten times fast.
1: Oh, Yeah, Kara funny. Unger, Kara <laughs> Unger. So the game. Those are the three. You know, those are the three main characters. You know, Sean Penn, Michael Douglas, and uh, Deborah Kara Unger. Who she hasn't really done a whole lot other than this movie. Like this is the main her main credit. It looks like she does a lot of Star Wars voiceover stuff. Oh yeah.
0: How do I? Okay. No. Yeah,
1: it's kind of weird. Michael Douglas plays Nicholas Van Orton, and it is his forty eighth birthday. His younger brother Conrad, also called Connie, um, kind of has been distant, or they just haven't connected for a long time. Well, it's been about two or three years. They're estranged
0: from each other. Yeah. Um, the last time they saw each other was at their mother's funeral. Yeah. Connie's or Conrad is played by Sean Penn.
1: Yeah, and he's. He's kind of a troubled dude, you know. He's they, had some
0: drug problems, had some like personal life problems. Yeah, and they,
1: they they grew up as a very wealthy family, mm, and very wealthy. Um, as some people with those kinds of means, sometimes they you know don't make the greatest decisions in life or whatever. So, anyways, it's Nicholas's birthday, and. His brother pops up out of nowhere and they meet up. He pops up as Seymour Butts. Yeah. Um, he, he meets he, him he, at a restaurant. Yes. He <laughs> leaves.
0: He leaves Nicholas a message <laughs> under the name Seymour Butts about going to lunch for his birthday. Yeah. They then know at that point to go ahead and have their lunch, their lunch under that name.
1: Yeah. So Connie and Nicholas haven't spent a lot of time together in the last several years. Um, They were together at their mom's funeral, but they hadn't seen each other in a while. And Connie wanted to give Nicholas a birthday present. And he gives him this invitation to a game put on by CRS.
0: Well, he doesn't say it's a game. He says... Tells him to call them. Was it CRS or CSR? CRS. CRS. And he tells him to call that number. It's it'll change your life.
1: Yeah, he had done it himself in London at some point and changed his life. Yeah. So lunch breaks up. They a couple weird things happen at lunch. Like from the very beginning of the from from this lunch forward, there are um, things like. Kind of like accident things that keep happening to well, he, Nicholas.
0: The the waitress spills um, iced tea on him. I don't think anything else happens before that.
1: Not that. Okay.
0: No, but but, what, but you know, he he gives him the card, and he's like, you know, what is this? And he's like, just just do it. And he's yeah. like, you know, I don't like surprises. And then all of a sudden, he has yeah. <laughs> Connie sets up the entire restaurant yeah. to sing Happy Birthday to
1: him. Yeah, he's you know he's a very very rich investment banker. He's a very controlled person. His entire environment is very regimented and just everything in his life is very controlled, period.
0: And and he's extremely... Antisocial.
1: Very, very antisocial. His assistant comes in at one point and going over their social calendar, he's like, mm, I'm not going to any of that. Forget it. And then she's like, Why do I even ask? And he said, Well, I mean, if you had to be around these people, you'd understand. Um, he just does not want to be-
0: it's actually not and it's not even that. It's that he's more like, If I don't understand, like if I don't socialize with these people, I have no I don't feel like I'm being left out. Is kind of how he yeah. takes it. He he yeah. has
1: Jomo, not FOMO, the joy of missing out, not the yeah. fear of missing out. But we also get to see him be kind of a ruthless businessman. You know, he wants to, I believe, consolidate or take over.
0: Um, He's a, shutting down a business that yeah. that that is um, the in, is hurting his investors, and the stock is going down.
1: Yeah. So we we get to see this kind of cutthroat side of him and. He's divorced. He's been divorced, I would say, what, five, seven years, something like that. Yeah. Maybe not even that long. Yeah. But you can—his ex-wife calls him on his birthday, wants to check in on him. So she still cares for him. And he's but very rude. He's, he's rude, and he's just very isolated. I mean, extremely isolated. The most interaction it seems like he has is with his housekeeper, who I believe has been in their family—like, with their family his whole life. Yes, And um, another note about this is, you know, he's turning 48. His father died when he was 48. In fact, his father committed suicide, jumped off the roof of their house, and he saw it. And Nicholas was maybe like 10 or 11. Maybe. And Conrad is maybe 5 or 6 or something at the time. So you kind of have this history. So because Nicholas is turning 48, the same age that his father was when he died, there's a lot of this kind of ominous feeling through this whole movie. He does agree to go to CRS and kind of get put through these tests and whatnot, but honestly, Matt and I don't really want to reveal a lot of the plot from here on out because the rest of the plot it, it is a very David Fincher movie where there's lots of twists. And if you haven't seen this, even if you have seen it, it's still not really fun to talk about all the little twists and turns I that the, happen I in the movie. The, I
0: think the best way to describe it, because if you watch the trailer, you'll you'll see this. Yeah. Is that he agrees to play this. You know, when he goes to CRS, they tell him it's a game. He's like, fine, whatever. It was a gift he agrees to go through with it just out of like you know part also because of his curiosity i think he's just curious like what it is
1: and yeah, maybe a challenge something to conquer
0: yeah something other than the business world yeah. and everything and um they throughout the rest of the movie they turn his life upside down yes from, from in a in- very
1: destructive like Very, very destructive, almost life and death kind of manner. From
0: invading his privacy to, you know, putting him in life-threatening situations. Yeah. And really kind of pushing him and challenging him in ways that are out of the, you know, very much out of the comfort zone that he has created. Oh, yeah.
1: The character who we know for a majority of the movie, Christine, She kind of plays this very primary role in this game. Um, He ends up being her mark through this whole game. So she's, from the very beginning, before he even agrees to do it, she's the waitress that spills tea on him. And she ends up being kind of his only real link to explaining what's going on and providing not, but also not moving even re- things along. Yeah,
0: it's more for moving things along, yeah. you know. He could very easily say, I don't want to play this game and just sit in a room all day and not care. Yeah. Instead he has to have this force that is, you know, really kind of putting him in situations that, you know, move the game along.
1: Yeah. I think without Going into, like I said, a lot of the twists and turns and whatnot. I think what's more interesting to talk about with this movie is kind of the larger philosophical questions that come up with it. I mean, it's in some ways, it's kind of an it's a wonderful life story in the sense exactly
0: what I was going to say. Without
1: having Mm -hmm. the whole you've you get to see what the world is like without if you'd never been born, it's not that kind of a twist, but it is a if you are take if if you have everything stripped away, do you still have any hope or any desire to move forward?
0: Yeah, I, I I made that exact like when I was thinking about this movie, I made that exact same kind of correlation where it's like as if the first like fifteen to twenty minutes of the movie were 90% of It's a Wonderful Life. And then everything that happens after the bridge scene of It's a Wonderful yeah. Life turns into, is like the rest of the movie, you know, where you're just kind of.
1: It's like It's s- a Wonderful Life inverted.
0: Kind of. Because we spend,
1: yeah. it's almost like he's living in Pottersville <laughs> most of this movie. <laughs> yeah.
0: I wouldn't call where he lives in San Francisco Pottersville.
1: No. Oh, <laughs> Michael Douglas, he gets to film in, po- in San Francisco a lot. What a lucky guy.
0: Well, other than The Game and Streets of San Francisco, the television show from the 70s, what else
1: has he done? Uh, Ant-Man. Oh, that's right. And Ant-Man and the Wasp.
0: <laughs> Two really fun movies. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, and and, and, it, and it is very San Francisco. I mean, they're not afraid of showing the, the street names and... Cable cars and you know driving down the hills and speed chases. The bridge, and the bridges. And, oh, it's it's so great. So there's it's kind of a little bit of a love letter to San Francisco. This
0: is this is um, when I, I this movie's directed by a great director, David Fincher, and um, looking at the movies that he's done, I think we figured out that this is the first of three movies that he's had take place. Um, If not all of, but somewhat in San Francisco, you've got...
1: I know two of them. The
0: first is um, this movie. Then Zodiac, Mm -hmm. which we reviewed in episode five. And then Social Network, which has a lot of Bay Area, San Francisco kind of ties.
1: Um, More Silicon Valley than San Francisco. Yeah. Not exactly the
0: same. But it's got a lot of scenes in San Francisco. But Fincher grew up... um, in Marin,
1: oh, C- Marin okay, County. That makes sense, so then. he's
0: got uh, some connections there to um, the Bay Area.
1: I would say the geography of San Francisco makes this movie even in- more interesting because it's kind so of a if character. you've if you've never driven through San Francisco, it is a maze. Driving through the city is like playing a game in itself. There's one-way streets. There's so many steep hills. You can get really turned around. I personally don't really enjoy driving through the city at there's all. There's the
0: crookedest street in the world. Exactly. <laughs> Lombard
1: Street. I mean, it is it is an interesting place, and it's incredibly diverse. There's so many different little pockets and neighborhoods and yeah. whatnot. So, I mean, you can see so many different things in one. I don't even know what the square mileage of San Francisco is, but... Well, it's, it's it's very it's a very interesting place yeah. for a film like this.
0: Yeah. One of the other areas where the movie is filmed is at the the Van Orton estate. Mm-hmm which um, they make sound like is in some place in San Francisco. But if you look at if you know anything about San Francisco, seeing a house like this, there's no way this is San Francisco. And in reality, no, it's not. It was actually filmed at a place in Woodside, California, yeah. named the Filoli House, oh. which is the Filoli. Um, g- there's a huge garden there and it's in it south of San Francisco, clo- kind of in between. um The Bay and the Ocean on the Peninsula. Yeah. And it's very beautiful. If you're ever in the Bay Area, I highly recommend, you know, maybe going there. It's not the cheapest kind of tour, but it's a beautiful place to kind of roam around. That house was where they filmed a lot of the the interior and exterior scenes. So, for example, there's a a, courtyard where... He sees his father at the beginning of the movie and yeah. the flashbacks, Yeah. and a lot of the flashback scenes of them in like the kitchen and everything like that, all filmed at the we House.
1: That's really cool. Okay, yeah. that's that's a really cool
0: so there's so def- there's that definite like Bay Area connection yeah. that um, you know Fincher brings into this, which yeah. is really neat. And in, and like I said, kind of like in the Zodiac, it ends up being a character.
1: Yeah, very much so. In addition to kind of this re-evaluating your entire life as a result of a two to three day, four day experience or whatnot, it also really pushes Nicholas Van Orton to question everything like question every person he knows he becomes incredibly suspicious of absolutely everything
0: he becomes incredibly paranoid and that's kind of part of a, a good part of the game is about getting him out of his comfort zone Yeah. You know, and he's created this world around him that he is in complete control of, you know, really gets turned upside down.
1: Yeah, this person of incredible means has all these things taken away from him, you know, through the course of this game. And the thing about the game is that he signed up for it. You know, he more or less gives access to all these things in his life. Two elements of this movie that I think could be challenged is the idea that. This company can anticipate every single move he's going to make. Well,
0: they, you know, they he comes in and and I don't you don't know if it's like part of the game or not, but he ends up doing like a five hour examination yeah. where they're doing like physical examination, psychological, and all asking him all these questions and everything like that. And part of it, like like i'm like 75% thinking like that's all that was all part of the game and like 25% of it was like necessary for how they created the game cuz the game with everything that they do in this movie there's no way it was set up that quickly but you have to also remember that they had conrad there to really give insight to oh, sure. his life. I mean, who knows how much re- reconnaissance was being done? Oh yeah. You know, to to prepare for the extreme measures that this company goes to to put him through the hell they put him through.
1: So I mean, it kind of comes with, to this Spoiler. question of yeah, <laughs> how how much can a person, like how predictable are people? versus, you know, do they really have a lot of free will and would they really make several different kinds of decisions or would your sibling, that's what's so perfect about this movie, could your sibling truly predict how you would react in all these various scenarios? I mean, did, they, did the CRS people maybe sit down with Conrad and say, okay this is what we're going to do to your brother. We want to set these multiple different things up. You tell us how you think he's going to react because you're someone who's known him your entire life.
0: I knew you were going to say that. (sighs) Yeah, okay, thanks.
1: Um, No, but I mean, I wonder if... You know, they don't, they don't, we don't, the only two people we ever hear who've experienced this game are Nicholas and Conrad. So we don't really know how this works for anyone outside of the Van Orton brothers, but yeah. is the background that is done where there's like this long conversation with a sibling to figure out, okay, let's, let's really figure out this guy or, you know, are these psychological tests really going to reveal all these things or, well, I mean, cause what if someone deliberately answered all those questions opposite of what they meant to?
0: Would it- well, at that point, though, they probably would have known that. I-, I think what really happens is, like, Conrad gives them some sort of access to and some insight yeah. into Nicholas's life. And then they... Spend an enormous amount of time preparing. It's not like it's not like Conrad went to Target and bought this card right before they had lunch, <laughs> and then get, got them. You know, he he uh, said, "Oh, uh, uh, he I've got gift card I've got, off the, I decided off the to give target. I decided to get you this profound life experience for uh, your birthday. Um, here's what a an balloon birthday. <laughs>
1: here's, thank, You don't thank, want flowers. Thank you, thank you,
0: Target. You have everything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> profound life experiences on." I'll eight (laughs) love it,
0: (laughs) but um, I'm next to Jenga. I'm you know I'm sure at some point they they had to have done a lot of research to kind of figure out like all the different things that and and who knows like it could be like a a choose your own adventure kind of thing Mm -hmm. where where depending on what decision Nicholas makes might take the game in some other kind of direction. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately, um, when you get to the end of the movie, you see like there was like a, a specific goal that had to be reached that they had to plan for. Yes. But, um,
1: the, with, the one, and the one guy says, "If you hadn't done this, I was supposed to do this." So, like right. the same
0: outcome was to right. happen. Right. I'm just gonna I'm gonna go ahead and jump to my favorite character in this. Please go ahead. Um, uh, Michael Douglas is amazing in this movie. Yeah. But even though he probably only has maybe 10 to 15 minutes of screen time, I think Sean Penn is my favorite character in this he's movie. He's wonderful. There's, I mean, he's really only in three <laughs> scenes. He's in. The the lunch scene where you um, where you meet him and he gives him the gift card, the the birthday Mm -hmm. card, the target gift card. Um, (laughs) Then in the middle of the game, he shows up
1: Mm -hmm. and And he's panicked and paranoid, panicked
0: and and paranoid and freaking out. And that's also where one of my favorite scenes in the movie is where he and Nicholas, aside from the game start having a confrontation about their relationship. Yeah. And, you know, he brings up one of the key things that he brings up is, you know, um, that, you know, he didn't Nicholas as the older brother didn't need to be his dad in yeah. his life or, or help him with it or, or help him along the way or anything like that. Yeah. And my, and Nicholas is like, I didn't have a choice. Yeah, And that is like a really, that's a very key moment about their relationship, about his personality. Yeah. You know, he witnesses this this death of his father at a young age and how that shapes his whole personality. And now he's the same age mm-hmm. that his father was. And how is he going to, you know, does he want to live up to his name? Does he want to, you know, to be bigger than his dad was? Does he want to be different than his yeah. dad? And that's a, a really, that's one of the key themes with it throughout the movie.
1: I agree. Sean Penn is excellent in this movie and his character is really great. But I think Christine is my favorite character. Why? I, well, I know we talk a lot about how there are, a lot of women aren't represented a lot in a lot of these movies that we've watched. But I thought she was very interesting. And I mean, I know she was incredibly manipulative, but she was a different kind. She was just a different kind of character than I've seen in things. And I remember from watching this years ago, so I saw it in the theater. Side note, our dad turned 48 the week that this movie came out in the theater. Weird. I know, complete coincidence. But I've always kind of thought our dad looks a little bit like Michael Douglas, too. Kind of a Robert Redford, Michael Douglas kind of mix, if I had to pick two actors who our dad looks like. They're about
0: Michael Douglas and Robert Redford, are are they pretty close in age, too?
1: Um, Robert Redford is older, and our dad is not as old as either of them. No. But I've always thought that they if he's similar to any actor, it's those two. So the fact that Michael Douglas is starring in a movie about a 48-year-old man the same week that our dad turned 48 it was just very weird. And I did see this in the theater. I don't know if I saw it right the week it came out, but I saw it pretty soon after. I don't I just thought she was a very interesting character and while she she acted as though she cared about Nicholas, I mean, like she says at the end you don't know anything about me. So this movie wasn't driven with any kind of love story or anything like that. I mean, it was driven because there was this strong, interesting woman in the, in the mix, you know, and what you kind of gather at this kind of like company party is what I'll call it. Not, you know, each of these games kind of has a different lead and that she just happened to be the lead in this one.
0: Yeah. So sometimes she's just a walk-on.
1: Yeah, but I don't know. I, I like I said, I haven't seen her in anything else, mm-hmm. um, but I really like her in this movie. I it, mean, she's not.
0: I, I don't dislike her. I don't think she's a bad character. I don't think that you know it's it's poorly acted or anything like that.
1: She's but, got a lot of screen time. I mean, she's oh, yeah. in at least what she's, forty to forty-five minutes of the film. She's the next. She
0: has the next most screen time. Yeah, probably after that, it's probably um, his lawyer who. Is played by Fox Mulder's dad. I was say <laughs>
1: Fox Mulder's dad.
0: <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think I, I, I would agree that, you know, of the she's she's definitely like the next main character. I mean, Sean Penn only probably gets higher ranking as far as like his name on the on the yeah. on the poster because he's known. He's mm-hmm. more known, even though he has far less screen time. Yeah. No, I thought that she was good. What was your favorite scene?
1: This is kind of hard to pick. Um,
0: And it's it's also hard to say because you don't want to spoil anything.
1: Yeah, I would say maybe it's after he goes to the Chinese food restaurant and then finds that actor and then takes that actor to the lunchroom. (laughs) And when I say that actor, I'm not saying someone employed to make the movie the, the Game. I'm talking about someone who literally is known to be an actor in the movie. He he, he advertises um, a, a prescription med, like Tanagen or something, or Tangine, or whatever that was called. Um, like
0: I don't know why you're being vague at that point.
1: <laughs> but, I mean, I think that lunchroom scene, because I feel like that was a moment where he was trying to kind of exert a little control over this mm-hmm. whole shit storm that had happened to him yeah
0: that's <laughs> a that, that's a good scene there's this there's <laughs> I, I believe the scene that you're referring to takes place in the um, lion and tiger cages at the San Francisco Zoo. well that's Lion- where it's filmed, at least.
1: Oh, the lunch scene is not what I... That's not what I mean. I mean when literally they go to that lunchroom.
0: Oh, the lunchroom scene. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> but he is with the actor. <laughs> it's after he gets the actor from the Lions and Tigers. Yeah. And the Either way. But it's... it's oh It's like... Oh, my. <laughs> um, it's in, like, the last third of the. It's in the last act of the movie. Yeah, yeah. But... No, th- this movie is incredibly suspenseful. Like, you your first viewing of the movie, you really don't know where it's going to go. Like you don't know no. how it's going to wrap up. It's David Fincher. So it's always a mystery. You you don't know what he's going to do. Yeah. The
0: first time I saw this movie, I was completely like, did not see the plot twists coming. at all. Of course. Now when I watch, it, I'm like, Oh, it's so obvious. Yeah. But, but, um, the first time I watched this, I just immediately when it was over, I was like, this movie is amazing. Me because too. the twists and turns in the movie, like, I never saw coming, Mm-mm. and um, it, it's a, it's a fun kind of ride. It's suspenseful. Mm-hmm.
1: Very it's, stylish. Uh, very, um, uh, the style is really cool.
0: I mean, Fincher, fin, he's great. At, he didn't write this, he just directed it, but his style is very, you know, he's always kind of dark. He always, um, he, not very flashy and, and kind of gritty. And, and you really get a lot of that in, in this movie. And I, uh, I, I've always just really liked it.
1: I really like this. The, one of the style choices he has is when he's trying to show Nicholas thinking back in, like, in his old memories, he uses old film like yeah. like 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 he's basically playing film reels like no audio kind of film reels from like the 50s and 60s that nicholas van orton would have had um yeah. shots of his um, life uh, so his
0: memory his memory is basically like an old like an eight millimeter th- yeah, film, yeah it's
1: it's really cool you know i i thought that was a neat little a neat thing that he threw in and, but um
0: and all and all the like very um kind of thoughtful scenes like all the flashbacks or whenever he's kind of in the house thinking about like his life um, there's this really great piano music playing yes. in the background which um, I'm not exactly I don't think it's um, Eric Satie but I think it's very inspired by that agreed and um, it, it sets a very a, a very good tone yeah. for the for the film and and I I can't recommend this movie enough
1: how many times have you watched it me yeah
0: heck i watched it twice to prepare for this podcast <laughs> and I've probably, i probably i think the last time i saw it I, it's funny i always see like if it's on tv i'll stop and start watching it and i always get you know everyone has has this there's always this one scene where i always catch it at yeah and i don't want to say what that scene is because i don't want to give too much about the movie you can but, say it in
1: a vague way just kidding <laughs>
0: yeah vagueness is not nancy there's
1: keys <laughs>
0: but anyway um no i i've i've i i probably see it at least once every couple of years really yeah you know i i i if it's on i'll watch it you know i i i can't remember the last time i just sat down and put it on mm-hmm. but i'd have to say um it's up there as far as as far as David Fincher movies go. Mm-hmm. It's up there. On I th- my list. I've
1: probably seen. I, I guaranteed have seen it start to finish at least three times, maybe four. But I don't think I've seen it more than that. And I don't think I've watched it in at least ten years. Oh no, really? Maybe longer.
0: But no, it's. I always enjoy it.
1: Speaking of David Fincher films in general, today is David Fincher's birthday. Oddly enough, another random coincidence. We're talking about birthday. I don't
0: think he's turning 48.
1: Probably not. (laughs) But um, what are your
0: favorite David Fincher movies? Um, You know, uh, I had seen, we've talked about um, another one of his movies, Zodiac, which I would probably put number one on my list as far as David Fincher movies. I've seen, I believe, every David Fincher movie. I'm trying to think of one I haven't seen, but I haven't seen Aliens 3. I would put Aliens 3 in my top 5 only because I really love the Alien series. Mm. But this was that was if I think that was his first feature film mm. and he has vastly improved mm. since that movie and in fact he even doesn't like it. Wow, which I I find very surprising. Um, cause I still, I still really enjoy it. It takes the alien series in a whole, in a different way,
1: which is. I've never seen any of the aliens movies. <sighs> <sighs> oh Man, always disappointing me. Excuse me.
0: <laughs> anyway, um, I would have to probably put Zodiac number one, primarily cause I have, there's that kind of, I like that it's a. Non fiction mm-hmm. kind of movie that because we live in the Bay mm-hmm. Area, there's those personal ties to, yep. and it's just a damn good movie with great acting. Um, after that, it's basically kind of like a f- if I was just doing five, it would be like a four way tie. Oh,
1: okay. What are the what's your four way tie? I
0: really like um, the social network, mm-hmm. I've seen that a ton of times. Saw it in theater. It, that is a really f- great movie. I don't. I don't even care how much of it is fact or fiction. Um, it's just really well done, and it, and the music mm-hmm. by Trent Reznor is amazing. In that he won an Oscar for it, so gotta love that. Um, then the the next movie would probably be. Um, let me see.
1: Well, they're a four way ties so it doesn't really matter. It's
0: so hard though because I like so many of his movies. And I'm, then I'll like blank on like which movies they are. I love I like Seven, but there's like a goriness to Seven that kind of kind of turns me off sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the actors in it um, mm-hmm. is kind of problematic, problematic. I really like Panic Room and a lot of people don't. Like they they put it like if they're ranking Fincher movies they don't like it as much but I really enjoy Panic Room.
1: It's funny you mentioned Panic Room because doesn't have Jared Leto in it.
0: Jared Leto and here
1: Sherry and I just started to do a my so called life rewatch. (laughs) It's like Jared Leto didn't have Cornrows in (laughs) so called Uh, life. (laughs) Yeah, I mean I really
0: I really like Panic Room.
1: So I think you're done. I think you said four. I think you said five. No, um, you said Zodiac. I'm assuming the game is one of them, right?
0: The game. Yeah, the game is in...
1: an Aliens. Yeah.
0: I'm trying to think if, like... I'm not going to put Gone Girl in that top five. Gone Girl's okay. I I just felt, like... I don't have necessarily, like, a lot of issues with Gone Girl, but that is not a movie I want to watch again. I want to watch it again. Um, It's It's in my top five. um, I had only recently seen Curious Case of benjamin button within like the last year and i kind of liked it mm. i thought it was um i thought it was kind of interesting a lot of people compare like i remember one of the things that people said about benjamin button was it was a lot like forrest gump and i was like why? <laughs> i was like what but uh no and then um let me see seven I'm trying to think of anything
1: well let me start with mine because i think there's yeah. movies in mine that are not you're not mentioning. So okay. the game is... I, I'm not going to put them in an order because kind of like Matt, it's hard to really rank them. Yeah. I've tried to do this before. I don't want to try and do it again. <laughs>
0: it almost but, seems but like... It, just, I'll just every talk time about you watch one of my them. five
1: favorites. So definitely the game, Fight Club, <sighs> Gone Girl, Zodiac, and I'd say Social Network would be in there too. Panic Room would not be. I haven't seen Aliens 3... Seven is so great. Seven, I think, is a very interesting movie and it's very intense. And I do like the I do like the idea of a serial killer following that kind of that kind of guideline, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like like the the whole idea of the seven sins and whatnot. And Uh like, but yeah, that movie, that movie is almost like a horror movie to me in terms of just how scary it is and just how desperately gory it is. I mean, it's, it's rough. I think I've seen it twice and I don't know if I'd ever want to watch it again.
0: I really like fight club until the twist at the end. And then I just think the whole, and then it like negates the whole
1: movie for me. We might be talking about fight club at some point.
0: (laughs) That's fine. I just think I, I just really, and I haven't read the book and maybe maybe there's something that I just am not getting from the movie that if I read the book, maybe I'd get the whole the twist at the end when you're watching yeah. it made me feel like the whole movie was a cop out.
1: Mm. <laughs> I don't feel that way. I, I still really enjoy the movie.
0: I mean, I enjoy I, I, I seriously like I'll put it on. And I'll I enjoy watching it. And then like the end comes. I'm like, ah, oh, it's time to turn it off. I mean, and Brad Pitt.
1: He's pretty hot in this movie.
0: Brad Pitt. Is, you know, I'm, I am not a Brad Pitt hater. I'm not. He's he's a good actor. He's fun to watch.
1: We just saw him in the new Quentin Tarantino movie, and wow, he still looks pretty damn good. <laughs> he took his shirt off on a roof and didn't even need to. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that was for the ladies. That's why he did that. Uh, well, do you have any other any other final thoughts on the game?
0: There's a creepy clown doll in it. That was my only other. Uh, <sighs> no. Well, here's a, and, and here, here here, oh, here is thank where you. actually this brings up an excellent point we were talking about earlier like how do they know so much like Mm -hmm. why would they put like when they are kind of introducing the game why would they have like this little creepy clown doll in it and if you remember from one of the like reels from his past Mm -hmm. at the birthday party that you see during the opening credits there are three like clowns Mm -hmm. that are performing at that party so it could have been that conrad had given them like old like Ugh. footage from their past and everything like that, like, growing up, and that's how they got some of the information. And
1: you know what? I kind of like that idea because then it really plays into the idea that CRS got into his mind. Like, really like got into his head. Like, if they were looking at old footage from his childhood and he was upset, like, replaying a lot of that old footage in his memories, yeah. Yeah, this movie is... This movie is trippy, It's but it's awesome. Uh, well,
0: I guess the only other thing that I'd say, and this is opening me up to a whole gigantic can of worms that I'm about to open. I was watching this um, the other night preparing for the podcast, and I started thinking about it. Like, if someone had, as long as, like, life or death or, like, financial demise or, like, anything terrible were to happen, if someone were to set up, like, a, um, a game or... Scavenger hunt thing like this elaborate for me, I would totally do it. That would be fun. Like with the puzzles and everything, where I had to drive all over the Bay Area to figure this shit out, that would be cool.
1: That's very different than. Oh, extremely different. Extremely
0: different. But I was just thinking about like, when it, I mean, if someone were to set up like a personalized scavenger hunt for you to kind of like do within a 24 hour period for your birthday. Where you had to go, like, solve, like, find clues and keys and all this other kind of stuff?
1: There was an episode of that on Parks and Rec, a Valentine's Day episode where Leslie had set up lots of crazy elaborate clues for Ben to have to figure out. And he was super struggling, so he was able to recruit Ron and Andy to help him run around Pawnee and figure all this out. And, of course, it didn't end with any kind of crazy death scene or anything like
0: that. So, so, so you're saying that it is, is a feasible thing that, and that if someone wanted to do that for my birthday, that that could happen. i have got many ones to move. On
1: <laughs> my birthday comes before yours. <laughs> I don't know uh, if I'm requesting this, though.
0: <laughs> well, man, I'm, uh, after we're done, I gotta go to Target and get a CRS gift card.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Target. CRS gift card at Target. Love it. Well, do you think, um, we could get Global Thermal Nuclear War at Target. <laughs>
0: um,
1: we didn't even get that video game there.
0: It is a Target. Oh! Man, you, you just set him up and I hit him out. All right. So my movie is actually one that I, re- I am so glad that I got to rewatch because watching it now with my eyes now mm-hmm. and my brain, my brain now, <laughs> as opposed to when I was like five or six years old oh, watching yeah. it on TV um, is is definitely like. You, you get it this time.
1: <laughs> it completely went over my head as a kid that the whole premise of this movie was people can't be trusted to make that critical decision. We need to put it in the hands of a machine. I didn't really understand that as a kid. I understood I kind of got that. My I understood Matthew Broderick's role from like, oh, I'm going to dick around and play with computers. I'm going to be a hacker and play some games and... That part I got, and I got that he went too far and got in trouble, but I didn't really understand. Thanks for just spoiling my whole summary. Sorry.
0: <laughs> so we're going to talk about War Games, yeah. a movie that came out in 1983, um, in the midst of the Cold War, mm-hmm. and stars Matthew, a very young Matthew Broderick, Ali Sheedy, um, pre-Breakfast Club Ali Sheedy,
1: Exercising, Ali Sheedy. Yes. she did, like, runs a lot in this movie. Runs, has leg warmers does, on. Yeah, stretching,
0: doing doing aerobics. Yeah, she, you know she's gonna be on TV. Exactly, <laughs> and uh, uh, Dabney Coleman mm-hmm. uh, making um, his second appearance on the podcast after Muppet Take Manhattan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, but um, yes, as Nancy was, um, I, I totally spoiled. Maps. Spoiling, spoiling for me. Um, The movie is about, uh, Matthew Broderick plays 16, 17 year old high school kid who, um, loves video games. you see him in the arcade, you see him, you know, and eventually you see him at home, um, on his, um, a very new thing in 1983, a personal computer. (laughs) Um,
1: they use his floppy disks the size of record record albums. Yes. 12
0: inch (laughs) floppy disks. And Who that who where he has a modem, but the dial up is a literal phone that you put on a like connecting device where you take the receiver, the receiver connects to the computer using a dial tone to communicate.
1: It was so Um, awesome.
0: And he's kind of, you know, he likes his video games and he, he's he got some hacking abilities. He likes to hack into the school computer. In fact, he he intentionally gets in trouble in a specific class just so he can go to the principal's office because he knows where the password is yep. and look up the password so he can go in and manipulate all of his school records.
1: This is like ultra computer hacker Ferris Bueller version.
0: I You know, and and almost to the point where it's like.
1: I mean, Ferris Bueller didn't he, cause these every, problems. Everything he
0: learned in this movie, he did not realize, oh, I'm going to have to do this again in another movie <laughs> where movie I have to a, change.
1: The, the tone of that movie quite uh, different than the tone of this I movie.
0: don't remember him being absent nine times. <laughs> 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 anyway, um, so Matthew Broderick's character, David, David Lightman, um, again, he likes video games and he's looking at a magazine where he sees um, that this company, Protovision, out of Sunnyvale, California, um, and, and at the time, David and his family live in Seattle, mm-hmm. are coming out with all these new games. So he tries to figure out a way to hack into Protovision so he can play these games for free mm-hmm. before they, they get released. And while he's doing research and trying to do all this, he inadvertently hacks into a supercomputer at NORAD um, that is in charge of all of the United States' nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. And when he does finally get into the supercomputer, he decides to list the games. Now, the supercomputer was developed by someone who was at the time doing very early work with artificial intelligence and trying to teach computers how to learn. So what he does is he uses games
1: mm-hmm.
0: to teach the computers how to learn. Mm-hmm. So the computer has games in its memory banks. So when David accidentally, hacks into it he lists the games and he sees like poker and chess and stuff like that but he also sees like guerrilla warfare and the famous one third um global. global thermonuclear war and he decides oh, i want to play that game mm-hmm. which then starts him on starts our whole story of him Running this test simulation of global thermonuclear war, which then triggers a a terrible string of events that are all kind of happening behind the scenes, like mm-hmm. we all see everything happening on screens and stuff, but you don't see like tanks rolling out mm-hmm. or subs going under the water or yeah. Russians running around or anything like that but um this test simulation gets misinterpreted by Russia and the United States as actually happening. And the rest of the movie is them trying to stop this this test game from happening on, yeah. on the supercomputer known as the Whopper. The Whopper. Them trying to figure out how to do this. So he gets arrested by the FBI. He gets taken to NORAD to meet Dabney Coleman, who's the person who is in charge of this uh, supercomputer. Yeah,
1: he's really, really pushing that machines should be in charge of global annihilation Yeah. so at the beginning
0: so before we meet david the movie opens up with a scene in a new nu- in a silo
1: mm-hmm.
0: one of the actors is a very young michael madsen i know that was amazing which when you see him like when i saw him i was like
1: oh, is that michael madsen then Doesn't you hear you that chop ears off of people in <laughs> later movies
0: <laughs> but then you you hear his oh, yeah. voice which is so distinct oh, yeah. and um after you hear his voice, you're like, whoa, hey, it's Michael Madsen. Yep. Um,
1: and John Spencer.
0: John Spencer. Uh, he was famous for being in West Wing. West Wing. That's it. Yes. At the, so this movie starts with them in a silo and they get they start the alarms start going off and they have to go through the through the motions of launching the nuclear a nuclear missile. And it all turns out to be a test. But. They don't pull the trigger and mm-hmm. and John Spencer's character is sitting there like I need to get like he's having doubts of yep. whether he should do it or not. Later, you know, the following scene you see is Daphne Coleman um with a bunch with like a general and a couple people from the government. Bunch of suits. Bunch of suits with, with badges. <laughs> they basically are debating whether, you know, oh, there's humans in here, you know, they don't have the guts to pull the trigger.
1: Didn't they say thirty percent weren't? Didn't do it.
0: Yeah, a huge percent. I mean, that's pretty big. But um, so because of this, they call the president on like the special phone and they, you know, replace the human element at that point Mm -hmm. and put in the Whopper to control all these nuclear warheads. And this is probably the largest kind of like story plot point that – I did not understand watching this as a kid.
1: Yeah. I didn't understand John Spencer and Michael Madsen doing that test that they didn't realize it was a test. And then John Spencer having doubts. And I didn't understand the board meeting where they all decide, Oh yeah. Computers need to be in charge. Yeah. All of that. Oh, totally over my head. Like,
0: yeah. Now, obviously I have a much greater understanding of it. Mm -hmm. I've, I've watched enough, uh, Enough movies and real mm. life news to understand, but
1: I mean this movie coming out in eighty three this had to feel so real for people, or like the threat of this being an option oh, had I mean, to feel very, very
0: possible I, well you bring you bring up an excellent point I'm just first first of all um this movie brings up a lot of really philosophical and mm-hmm. kind of timely moments mm-hmm. and um ultimately. We'll just spoil it. David saves the world. Okay. He, they stop
1: it. I mean, he almost blows up the world. He almost blows up the world, <laughs> but, up the he, world, but he they sa- stop it. He saves
0: We're We're all okay at the end yeah. of the movie. This movie's very timely in a lot of ways because, one, as you brought up, like, you and I did not, like, you, we didn't go through a time where we had um, warnings and where we had to, like, we were afraid that nuclear war was about to start. Even though we were in school at that time, we didn't have drills like our parents did. No. And, I mean, we had, like, earthquake drills... Yeah. ...and fire drills. Yeah. But we didn't have, like, nuclear war drills. And in watching this, I I thought about that. Like, Mm -hmm. man, we didn't have to do that. That was probably pretty real. And then I realized, no, now people today have to do the same thing for mass shootings. Yep. And... That was pretty scary. I mm-hmm. mean, they could they could really kind of take that kind of same kind of paranoia and fear and of you know, we don't know when this is going to happen and how do we prepare, yeah, and you can really apply that to a lot of things that are going on yeah.
1: now, well, you can also apply it to the idea that um, elections are porous and easily hacked. <laughs> By well, Russians. <laughs> true. There's there's that too. I mean, just I mean a t- there's a TV show that I love that's coming back for its final season in a couple months. That felt you know I was kept thinking about over and over again watching this was Mr. Robot. You know because he's in addition to them having the exact same wardrobe. Um, I mean I guess t-shirts, jeans, and hoodies are probably like your standard hacker r- wardrobe. But I mean they both have a I don't think Matt watches the show.
0: I, I don't, but I'm familiar with yeah, the I mean, theme.
1: But just this very anti-establishment kind of characters that really want to mess with the system. Um, David, while, yes, he wants to just play games for the most part, I mean, he also has no interest in going to school. I mean, he he is a deviant in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um you know, not judging or anything, I mean, but he definitely doesn't fit in. You know, he's definitely someone who feels like he's kind of... Because I never noticed previous times, like I quite like I did this time, he's really socially awkward, too. Like, he just... He's odd. He's really odd. And Elliot in Mr. Robot has a lot of the same problems. He's got a lot more problems than David does, but there just seems to be this element of these kind of offbeat characters feeling very comfortable manipulating people's private information and breaking into systems and things like that and anyways
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that one of the things that's kind of fun for me to watch in this movie Is the technology. I mean, because we, I mean, we were very lucky to be introduced to computers at a very Mm -hmm. young age. Um, King's Quest, baby. We didn't necessarily have 12 inch floppy disks, (laughs) but we definitely had like the five and a quarter inch floppy disks and a monochrome monitor and not a, uh, and, and we actually, even before that, had like a computer that we hooked up to our television and you didn't save anything on disk. We saved it to a cassette. Do you remember that? and you you like programmed it with like ascii text do you remember no. having that no um and it played video games a little bit mm. but just watching the technology and um one thing that really i i thought of too was like computers back then were super expensive i don't know how david had all this stuff in his room <laughs> how i mean he
1: he he wasn't well, his thick- mom is a real estate agent so maybe the real estate
0: Market was
1: like booming in Seattle back. then. I don't know. I don't know.
0: But I mean, it, it seemed like I, I It didn't seem very um, realistic for a kid to have this in his room. Uh, the stuff that he had. Yeah. But at the same time, who cares? Um, but then again, like looking at like the whopper. I mean, the the power that was going through that and all of NORAD is yeah. probably less powerful than what you have in your pocket right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. So that's fun for me to watch. Sure. Not just kind of as kind of a tech geek a little bit. Yeah. But also it shows the times. Mm-hmm. It'd be they, they made a sequel. Like, I think they tried to redo this movie and they kind of made it like a sequel and came out. I think in the 2000s the 2010s um called like war games like dark code or something like that and it's like it 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 wouldn't feel the same because technology is so different i'd almost rather watch um uh live free or die hard i think was the Mm. the die hard movie with um Justin Long mm. and uh, Tif- Timothy, Timothy Oliphant, Oliphant, where there's a, a huge hacker kind of aspect yeah. to that. Just watch that's Mr. a robot little, instead. That's a little more more um, now than what's going on. Yeah. But um, the other thing that uh, I thought about, this was probably one of the first movies. Cause I I saw this I didn't see this in the theater I was too Mm-mm. young but I saw it a few years after later on tel, on like TBS or something this was another one of those like played on TBS all the time kind of movies but this was probably one of the early ones that I had watched that really kind of made me think about how how many like military based movies came out in the eighties
1: oh an incredible amount
0: I mean Just we'll, we'll probably talk about a couple more of them later yeah. but tons i mean there was they were like it's i don't know if it was just like hey this is what makes money or what but there was definitely like a hollywood push to like really feed the the anti you know communist cold war paranoia Mm -hmm. to like sell sell tickets with like commando and rambo and Top Gun. Top Gun and all these different kinds of movies. And there's some that, you know, I remember watching that, you know, Iron Eagle, Mm -hmm, uh, American Ninja Warrior uh, or not American Ninja Warrior, American Ninja. American (laughs) Ninja Warrior is a totally different thing. That's different. I do watch that, though, because that's kind of fun. I sit, Obstacle and, course I sit there and I sit there and wish I sit there and wish I had the flexibility and skill <laughs> of of the people on <laughs> on that show. But um and and it's funny though but like as a kid of the 80s like we a lot of us just grew up on I mean we had like GI Joe and all mm-hmm. other kind of stuff. we really grew up with like this whole militarized kind of kind of childhood.
1: Well, Reagan.
0: Uh, and yeah, I mean you had that you see it in a different light now
1: I want to point out that I feel like the general is made to look very goofy and silly
0: I don't think so
1: he well his language is very juvenile he just I think
0: it's just I think it's just his
1: He doesn't sound as intelligent as everybody else in the room. I think it's
0: just his, the the character that they've written has kind of like a Texas kind of southern background. I mean, they show him like putting Chewing tobacco in a few times, and, yeah. and and maybe it's maybe it is kind of he he's the first person to be like I don't think we should have computers running everything yeah which so he's he's definitely of sound mind there but, but he I also think because
1: he sounds kind of unintelligent he just sounds like oh he's are you just, saying
0: people with southern accents are unintelligent no
1: I'm <laughs> saying the no the the way just the way he chose to describe things like. You. This was. This is before you guys were even watching Howdy Doody or just some of Darn Tootin. Like, there's just certain things about. That's just. It's just. I don't know.
0: I don't. I never. I never took it as they were trying to make him less intelligent, or. Um, I think it was just his background. I think I. I if you were to describe it, I would say. The cowboy aspect, and and I think that that is a critic, not a criticism, but that is a way that I think other. I've seen it in other pop culture things where America is described as a bunch of cowboys, mm-hmm. and that is yeah. our mentality, is a cowboy mentality. Yeah, and maybe it was a maybe it was a commentary by having him having kind of a cowboy background.
1: I think that sounds right. That sounds fair. I the only reason I say I interpret them trying to portray him look less intellectual as the other guys in the room is because the other guys in the room who believe so much in the machine could theoretically seem intellectually superior. So, therefore, you need to follow what they're saying because, of course, the machine makes sense. But then, of course, that whole idea gets blown up with what happens during the
0: movie. Right. A couple of th- other things I wanted to mention is... um Joshua? <laughs> no Joshua Joshua that whole kind of story with the creator of the um, of the uh, the whopper and the games and everything like that with his son and Joshua and all that is 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 very is interesting kind of sad um, I love how and I've seen this in another I saw this in another movie so in war games they have like a speaker on the computer that will Speak out the dial Like the the typing Mm -hmm. that the computer is doing And that's a great Trick for the movie So David as he's typing Can be Saying like saying what he's typing Like Mm -hmm. hello Joshua How are you Let's play chess And then the computer has a speaker on it So in this computer voice It'll Mm -hmm. say that There's another movie that does this From the 80s called Jumpin' Jack Flash with Whoopi Goldberg.
1: Haven't seen it.
0: It's, it's pretty good. And that has kind of a hackery kind of aspect mm. of it, too. But um, they do the same thing. And um, uh, she's communicating with, like, a British operative. And then when she finally hears in the movie, she hears what his voice sounds like. So anytime he is communicating with her on the computer, it's just, they just have the actor talking. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) So you don't have to read her monitor. Yeah. And I thought that was cool. No, um, no, the other thing that I was going to mention is I remember watching this movie and there's certain things that David does that, and he's very smart. Mm -hmm. You know, he, we can tell like there's a scene where he is locked in like a a medical office at NORAD Mm -hmm. and he, is trying to escape and he figures out how to break out by like taking a tape recorder and some some clamps and hooking it up to this keypad like the the other side of the wall of this keypad that has like this tonal kind of code that goes in and he breaks out and i remember like being a kid being like like locking myself in the bathroom and like be like like, with the, with the ability to unlock it mm-hmm. and being like, oh, I got to break out of the bathroom. <laughs> what can I do? And, like, going, like, to light the light switch and, like, pretending like I'm hooking up something <laughs> from the drawer in the bathroom yeah. to unlock the door and, like, you know, just playing. But it, 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 I remember mocking, like, yeah. like, pretending that. And then there's a scene where um, after he does break out, he's on a road and he takes, like, a piece of metal, undoes, like, the the, um, the receiver on a, on the phone, on a payphone phone and, pay phones, and hook, wow. yeah, um, kids look it up <laughs> and, um, just takes the piece of metal and hooks it up to, like, to the magnet and puts it next to the phone and like somehow gets a dial tone to get a free phone call. Yeah. And I remember being like, that was the coolest thing yeah. that doesn't work, but
1: <laughs> yeah. I always pictured that piece of metal being, um, the tab off of like a soda can. Yeah. I think that's what it was. Yeah.
0: So. You know he no, couldn't he, find he, quarters on the ground, yeah. so he used that, and he just hacked his way into the phone. Yeah,
1: like the MacGyver things that he does were really awesome because it's nice to see that someone's not just smart when he's in front of a computer. I mean, he really he's really cr- you can picture that he can build things and.
0: Another thing I wanted to bring up is impra- is what I just wrote in my notes as impractical travel. Um, so oh, the movie the movie three
1: takes hours the movie to the
0: Colorado. movie the movie takes place. In Seattle When David first gets arrested He's outside of a 7-Eleven They pick him up in a van And then like the next scene In the same clothes and everything He's at NORAD Which is in Colorado And for the longest time I kept thinking like growing up Colorado's like right next to Washington Right? It's right next to Seattle And then He gets wired money To take a flight to Oregon To go meet the Try and find the person Who created the Whopper and I'm just thinking, and and that I'm just thinking like, oh man, all these places must be really yeah. close together because it, all this happens within like less than a day's worth of time. And yeah. no, impractical it's travel,
1: very impractical travel.
0: And and there's a black, there's some sort of you know time jump someplace or some like yeah. little wormhole where they yeah. can get from place to place.
1: Can I tell you my favorite character? Sure, Falcon's my favorite character.
0: Yeah, Falcon he's, is, is. He's great. the
1: best. He. He not only is he my favorite character but he's the main character in my favorite scene too. So my favorite scene is when they finally get to Goose Island and he's flying around his remote controlled pterodactyl and then you know the kid the kids come inside and they you know are trying to convince him you need to go to NORAD. We need to deal with this. You don't understand what's going to happen. The whole world is going to like blow up and he kind of is like kids you want to watch this movie about dinosaurs <laughs> like see how these dinosaurs went extinct you know what everything goes extinct at some time maybe this is just our time like he's totally nihilistic it's about it's super this. creepy he's it's so super just creepy. like if we can all, if we all die eh, i guess it's our time in fact i i chose to live here because we'll be right by a blast site we'll get evaporated like that boom like We'll be dead right away. I feel bad for those poor saps that are going to end up with cancer and like die a slow death. Like that's the worst for them. It was so intense. Was that, like, that, but scene is, scene. that scene is that scene
0: is creepy AF. Yeah. It was it, it freaked me out. I was like yeah. rewatch like as a kid, I didn't get it. No, but then no, no, rewatching all it, it's over our rewatching head. it, I'm thinking like, oh, this guy just doesn't give a crap, and he yeah. knows that he is probably. Integral in the annihilation of half the planet, and he's basically come to terms with
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I mean, and, and we, doesn't want to stop it. And <laughs> we find out later that um, they all know, like the like the. The government, the spooks, or whoever—they all know he's alive. I mean, he still gets these DOD checks. They kind of created this new identity for him, so yeah, it's because they like didn't they- want him
0: interfering with their plans. Exactly. Like he basically was like, "This is a terrible thing that you guys are doing, and I'm—I know I've helped create it, but I can't destroy it." Yeah. And you know what are we gonna? You know so let me just leave, live live my live my life peacefully yeah. i mean and also his his family had died so he's oh, yeah. alone so yeah. he doesn't feel like he has anything to live for anyway yeah but
1: um what about no, your favorite character and favorite scene oh,
0: man i i really while he is kind of I think I just really like Matthew Broderick in this movie.
1: Are you sure you don't like Matthew Broderick's dad? <laughs> I'm
0: not a great fan of his dad. Although, although, when re-watching this movie, he his dad did something that I remember emulating as a kid and have now inspired my wife to do, is um, his dad puts butter on bread. Like, he butters the bread heavily with butter and then takes corn on the cob and instead of trying to put butter on the cob just rolls the cob on the bread like rolling like spins it around on the bread and i remember doing that as a kid a couple times because of this movie and i showed this to my wife and she was like that's amazing i'm doing that every time i have corn on the cob (laughs) even if i it's like even if i don't have bread i'm gonna grab bread put butter on that because it's hard to butter a corn
1: on the cob it was hilarious. His it was parents kind of remind me of the parents in Heathers. Like he remind his parents remind me of Veronica's parents. They're just kind of they're no, just kind of there. Were, no, they're not. I think that they're I think they
0: kind of have an integral role. They a little more influence than like yeah. Veronica's parents. Yeah. No, I th- I I want to say like I think Matthew Broderick while he's played been in a ton of things. If you say Matthew Broderick People immediately think Ferris Bueller. Mm -hmm. But I think that if this movie would have been as popular or come out later and he was in it, this could be like that movie that would, his career would go in a different direction if if people had seen him in this movie at a time where he was at like a higher part of his, of his acting career. Because I think that not, not only is he played, does he play the role very well, but He, um, there's something about how there's an innocence and an intelligence that he has that I think was actually very realistic and, and almost, almost like kids that I grew up with were, you know, could have looked at him and ended up like him, but it just turns out like. No, this is just how kids are, yeah. And and ended up being. I mean, he is he's almost like the the stereotypical computer kid, hacker kid, you know, that from like the nineties. Yeah. So, and I think that the like the way he played him was very well. Yeah. Was very well done. And if I had to pick a second character, you know, because he's the star, it would be Ali Sheedy. Ali Sheedy, I thought she was, was great. Awesome.
1: She was so great, and I I really liked that. She was such like this very down to earth girl next door. You know, had a motorcycle, ran everywhere. It, she and ran it wasn't the really, neighborhood all the time. And it wasn't
0: really like, and it wasn't a love while story. While they were both like, she was kind of flirty, but not uh, like super flirty. Ooh. There, it wasn't even like a romantic kind of thing. They were, Mm-mm. they were just f- kind of friends, and they had kind of a connection, you know, he helped her with her grades and they made each other laugh and she kind of got kind of interested in like the things that he was doing, but they weren't like together.
1: Well, and, and they make it clear, like he doesn't have a lot of friends. No. So I, you know, he's got those two weird hacker nerds, super,
0: super intelligent, not a lot of friends, perfect target for the Russians to make him a spy.
1: Did Strickland ever have any hair?
0: <laughs> oh, that that is that is the other thing about this movie. This was the first movie that we saw that actor in and then later you see back to the future and like, "Hey, it's Strickland." <laughs> he was an evil FBI agent in the movie. <laughs> was he that evil? He was just doing his job. Eh, uh, whatever. I know. Those, you know, I think that I think that's the other thing about this movie too, like watching it As a kid, you're thinking like, "Oh, all these guys are bad that are trying to." They're like the man. Now I watch it now, I'm like, "They're all just doing their freaking job." They're
1: doing their job, but I mean, I I feel like this the scene where he had been in McKittrick's office, and McKittrick's like, "So, who are you working with?" who's, who's your, who's nobody, your, nobody. Hmm. Or really, where are you going who are you going to, to Paris with? And that McKittrick was just so stubborn, assuming that there was someone else that he was working with. And it wasn't just an accident. I mean, that's really what it was. It was, it wasn't, he accidentally stumbled but into that, this, but, but that that's it, not, but see,
0: it wasn't about like, Oh, they wouldn't listen to him because he's a kid or anything like that. That's how scared people were. And that's yeah. what their job was. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I also learned from this movie as a kid was the whole like Defcon 5, Defcon 4, Defcon three, and like if you get Defcon one, mm-hmm. it's World War 3 kind of thing. And I mean, I that's how I knew about this mm-hmm. about that thing. And just the fact that they constantly were like showing that in the movie, and then like they'd cut to that or they'd have the general yeah. be like, we're at Defcon 2, you know and and go and like doing that, really kind of showcases the fear and paranoia that at any moment an attack can be imminent yep and that they all had to be prepared and those people in the military at that point that was their job yeah and you know it sucks but (laughs) i mean that's just that was what at the time especially you know Again, there's this whole kind of fear mongering aspect of a lot of those a lot of movies, I think, from maybe from the 80s that were kind of just pushing like this. Oh, whole yeah. Like, be afraid of Russians. Yep. Communism is bad. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that. And and not that those things aren't bad, but it, it was being heightened as oh, opposed sure. to trying to educate.
1: Yeah. I like I like the scene towards the very end when they finally are all in that war room together. Mm. And, you know, Falcon says to them, why would Russia do this? You know, if Russia is saying this has... Because you know, he was trying to convince them that it was all a simulation. Right. That, that nothing was actually happening. And he's like, why would this have happened? It's completely unprovoked. Why? You know, and just this kind of pause to do a little critical thinking in the moment and be well, like, do you realize, like, they are signing up to kill everybody on the planet? Well, and by
0: doing this the whole idea of if we launch an attack they're going to launch a counterattack. so so there it's a lose-lose situation yeah. there's no winner
1: i love the part when the computer is running through all the simulations and it was showing all of the different war simulations like yeah. there was like a nato simulation there was a satellite simulation it just yeah. kind of had these different names the the china-based one the yeah. the it was so interesting. I mean, stuff that we understand now as adults because we're more worldly than we were when we were right. seven, eight years old watching right. this.
0: Right. But- no, I thought no. I mean, I picked this movie not just because it was something I grew up on. I just it, it's it's a movie I wanted to revisit. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm glad we Like did. I said, I'm really glad that I got to revisit it with older eyes. It's really kind of it's interesting watching this, not really understanding, like being too young to. To being too young in the eighties to understand what the cold war was about yeah. and only being able to see it reflected in the movies. Mm-hmm. Cause like when the Berlin wall went down, mm-hmm. like, Oh yay, there's a wall there that's dividing these two parts of a country, not knowing all the history behind it and why it's there and what it all means. Yeah. You don't get that until you get older. So being able to rewatch this again, um, was kind of interesting. And, um, the only other point that i wanted to make cuz um i don't really think i need to pick my favorite scene because i like a lot of the scenes in this movie and i've mentioned a lot of them but um along the same lines that we've been talking about i'm always amazed at watching see, watching movies and we've watched you know we're watching a bunch of movies seeing airports oh yeah in movies pre 9/11 oh yeah Versus post nine eleven.
1: Yep, there and, is no picking someone up at a gate anymore,
0: or just kind of yeah, just kind of walking around and like Car- having carrying, you carrying more than three ounces of a
1: liquid in your carry on. Um,
0: there's a scene where David meets or David flies to Oregon, and then um, Ali Sheedy's character, when her character Jennifer surprises him at the gate at the airport, and he's like, "You shouldn't be here because I'm in trouble," kind of thing, but. And Then she kind of goes along with the journey on the journey with yeah. him and the rest of the movie. The airport just looks like everything just looks so different in yeah. an airport now. And and the other movie where like when we talked about Almost Famous, there's an airport scene in that. There are a couple of airport scenes in yeah. that. And I'm just like, Airports are so different now. Airports and, are
1: very, very different. Yeah. Can I mention the funniest thing that happens in this movie? Sure. So after You know, when David's deep in his research, trying to figure out how to break into Falcon's system, he realizes it's got to be Joshua. Joshua's got to be the name. Really, well, it says that he died. Or it says that Falcon died. Oh, really? How old was he? Oh, Oh, he was really old. Yes, he was was 41. 41. (laughs) I... I was cracking up so much last night. I mean, I, I know 41. that it had to be a joke back in the 80s, but man, it's like, oh, okay. 41's really old and it's okay that you're dead at 41. Okay. I was laughing so hard. Yeah, that was hard to watch. Apparently, apparently when Jack used to watch this as a kid. His parents thought that line was incredibly funny too, for the same reason. Like, yeah, forty one.
0: Yeah, People... oh yeah,
1: you are right. That is really old.
0: Yeah, yeah. Considering now, like <laughs> what forty one was, you know, fifty years ago is now like sixty one <laughs> or seventy one now. Uh, wait, oh,
1: just it made oh god, I laughed so hard. Yeah. Anyways,
0: it was. I remember seeing that scene and it being like eye opening. Yeah. <laughs> so for those of you um, who are really old like us, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, hopefully you'll chuckle at that oh, too. Yeah. Or roll or, your or eyes. Or how,
1: whenever you get to those ages,
0: you'll
1: find it funny. <laughs> do you have any other final thoughts about War Games?
0: Um, other than it's a great movie. Um, yeah. I think... Um,
1: I'm I'm thrilled you put it on the list. I'm really thrilled with the pairing we had this week. I thought it was really cool to have these two movies that kind of cover really big ideas
0: in very different ways. Paranoia in different ways, too. Yeah. I mean,
1: one on a very global context, one on a very personal context. I thought it was just... And these movies are very of their times. I mean, it's very... 1983 is just pulsing through (laughs) horror games. 1997, with the technology we saw there, and really that movie didn't even... deal with a ton of technology which
0: it was mainly just um a couple times when well it, it's funny watching this like he had a car phone yeah and if in it's like the difference Cause between, he
1: was rich he had a car he phone. had a car
0: phone and he had like i think he had like kind of a a, a cell phone before you know cell phones blew up mm-hmm. and um but there was it, technology was not a main focus Mm-mm. in the game like Mm-mm. it was in war games i mean
1: window handles were an important piece of technology. I mean that was you know that that was as basic as it got for him. Yeah. So but, but no I'm I'm thrilled that we got to rewatch these. I hadn't watched war games in many, many years, so a lot of this kind of felt like brand new to me.
0: Yeah. And like I said, I thought Matthew Broderick um he's great. He was, I guess, 20
1: when he was in this movie. Yeah. So if he had done this after doing... Just kind of thinking about what you said about if Ferris Bueller had come out and then War Games and what kind of... You know, where his career would have gone. Mm -hmm. He would have been like 26, 27 playing this kid. He had to be very young. And I'm so glad this movie happened way before Ferris Bueller.
0: Oh, yeah. I just think that... They would have had to cast someone else. I just think that... um, Like... He 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 could have. I I wonder what his career would have been like because he's always had kind of like a young face. So mm-hmm. like everyone had, it was always hard for a long time for him to picture him in roles where he was playing like his a mature age person. or his age, yeah. his actual age. I mean, like because you said what he was like twenty when he, he was
1: twenty when he
0: was twenty when he filmed this, and he so I think he
1: was like twenty four when he did
0: first Bueller right, and again it gets back to the whole like adults playing adults playing teenagers in the 80s kind of thing i mean if they were to actually get a 16 year old like john cusack who was probably about 16 in 1983 (laughs) um they could have done that and got an actual 16 year old yeah and you know john
1: cusack did like nerdy computer stuff in 16 candles yes so
0: there you go had had to get that in there i know you did (laughs) But um, maybe we'll ask him someday. Maybe. 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 We're working on it. All right. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much. if uh, you want to take a break from um, hacking your school to try and get, change your grades or try and play Global Thermal Nuclear War, visit <laughs> us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, we Instagram, we, we Instagram. We do have a YouTube channel, so you can listen to us on YouTube if you are at work or someplace where you don't have your phone near you. Um, are
1: there other? Are there any other hacker movies that you guys like that you know you think we should watch? Uh, hackers.
0: Hackers is a fun movie. Angelia Jolie.
1: Never seen it. What? Oh, my God. (laughs) If you guys could see what he looks like when he says this, I swear.
0: Adding it to the list. (laughs) All right. Everybody, thank you very much for listening.
1: Thank you so much.